If you have your Bible, open with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first uh, book in the New Testament. It's the first of the Gospels. And we are starting a brand new series today called The Upside Down Life. And this is an exciting series for me because I love the Sermon on the Mount. I love what Jesus does during this sermon. Uh, It's known by many to be one of his greatest sermons, and he starts uh, with this introduction of the Beatitudes. And so for the next uh, nine weeks, including today, so eight weeks moving forward, uh, we're going to be studying each Beatitude uh, together. And so uh, today we're just starting as an overview so that we can understand where we are in the middle of this uh, sermon. I love the words that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 5, but it, it really is a new understanding of life. You know, 20 years ago yesterday, uh, the events that took place on 9-11 really were events that turned everything that we know upside down. It was an attempt uh, not just to change the landscape of New York City, although they did. We have a picture of what it used to be. You see on the top is uh, before the events on 9-11, and then there is shortly after Uh, Now we obviously have a new building in its place, but it wasn't an attempt to just change the landscape. It wasn't just an attempt to change the skyline, but rather there was an attempt to completely cancel this nation. There was this attempt from terrorists to turn everything that we know completely upside down. You know, Jesus often works like this too. Uh, he's, he often turns what we think upside down. Uh, but because of the events of that day, I mean, you can recognize very easily that things were completely turned upside down. I mean, it's changed everything. The way that we enter into an airport is now changed. The way that we think about flying has changed. For our public safety, for fire and EMS and police, it changes the way they train. It changes the way they view uh, mass casualty incidents. And it made us reevaluate how we can handle more trauma in our hospitals. It made us reevaluate everything that we formerly knew in America. This is exactly what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount. He makes us reevaluate everything that we know about life. But the way that Jesus does it, it is for your benefit, it is for your good. Jesus takes what we know of our culture. Jesus takes what we know of being religious. Jesus takes of what we know as being good and he turns it completely upside down. And so if you have your Bible and you're already there at Matthew chapter 5, would you just stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this together? We're going to read the first 12 verses, and it says this, starting in verse 1. It says, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the, the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together. And Father, we ask now, Lord, that by your spirit, you would take your word and you would apply it to our lives in ways that only you can. Father, would you speak to us now? Would you open our hearts? Would you open our minds? Would you open our ears and our eyes so that we can see you with clarity? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, Jesus often speaks in these paradoxical ways. Uh, he says things that don't really have much sense to them. He, he takes statements and he makes them seem contradictory in order to prove a truth. Uh, Dr. Robert Smith Jr., he gives a great definition of what a paradox is. And he says this, he says, a paradox occurs when two mutually exclusive statements meet at the intersection of apparent contradiction only to produce a truth. And this is exactly what Jesus does with the Beatitudes. He takes these mutually exclusive statements that are obviously contradictory to some degree, and then he brings us to understand the truth even more clear. And this is what he does often though, right? I mean, Jesus often teaches with a paradox statement, with these paradoxical phrases. Paul does the same thing, but Jesus, he makes claims often. He says, if you want to live, then you first must die. He says that if you want to be first, then you must be last. He says, if you want to be exalted, then you must first be humble. He says that if you want to find your life, then you must first lose it. He says, if you want to be great, then you should be the least of these. Jesus speaks with this paradox often. And he's trying to bring an emphasis to a truth or a point that he is trying to make. But what we see in these paradoxes is the fact that Jesus is completely turning everything upside down so that you and I can have a true understanding of what it means to have a blessed life, a life of happiness, a life of true happiness, not this temporary happiness, but a true happiness, a joy Something that you and I really can't even describe with human words. Jesus says that if you want this kind of life, the life that Jesus promises often that is going to be abundant, he has given us the roadmap in order to be able to do that in these beatitudes. 
But first, he's turning everything upside down so that we can understand what is truly right side up. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus turns our society upside down. He turns our society upside down. Everything that you know as far as our kingdom, everything that you know in our culture, everything that you see in our society, Jesus flips completely upside down. And this is what he was doing of the day. First century Judaism needed to be flipped up on its head. And this is what we see from him. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. You see, there's something incredible about the fact that Jesus sees the crowds. There's an emphasis here that you and I don't need to overlook. When he says that he sees the crowd, it means that he sees exactly where they are in life. He sees the plight that they are in. He sees the devastation that they are living in. He sees the way that they have gone away and deviated from the path that God has originally put them on. He sees the brokenness of the day. He sees the chaos of the society. And Jesus often says this, that he sees the crowds. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 it says, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed. They were dejected. You see, Jesus sees the crowds and he sees you. He sees you exactly where you are. He sees you in the midst of our society. He sees you in the midst of our culture, in the midst of our brokenness, in the plight that you and I are in. All of us, all of humanity are in the same plight, in the same boat. And it says that he saw them. And he didn't just see them with a, a lack of emotional response. He saw them and he had compassion for them. He had a desire to see them out of the brokenness. And in order to do that, he must turn the society upside down. You see, here's the problem with first century Judaism is the fact that they were looking for a leader. The people of God, they were expecting the Messiah to come. All of the Old Testament literature is pointing toward this Messiah who is to come and save the world. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And so they were kind of confused at what this Messiah was really going to be about. They were expecting this great political leader to come riding in on a stallion, and they were going to overthrow Rome once and for all, just like Moses did in ex with the Egyptians. We read about it all through Exodus, how they were brought out from the bondage of the Egyptians. And so they were expecting to be brought out of the oppression from the Romans, but what Jesus does is he's saying, no, 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 listen to me. You're thinking about the wrong king. He said, I didn't, I didn't come to be just some political ruler. I didn't come to just overthrow Rome. He said, I came to turn everything you know upside down. Completely. What you think you need is actually not what you need. What you think you know is actually what you don't know. And I have come to make it clear of what kind of king
king I really am going to be. Because he says, listen, the kingdom that I come to reign supreme over is not of this world. He makes this statement before Pilate, even at his own execution. He stands before Pilate at this trial, obviously a mockery of a trial, but a trial nonetheless. And he says this in John chapter 18, verse 36. He says, my kingdom, see how possessive he is? He says, my kingdom, the one that belongs to him, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. He's saying, listen, everybody who can hear me right now, my society is not here. My kingdom is not here. The greatest days of your life is not found on this side of eternity. What I have come to do is establish a new kingdom. You see, John the Baptist was paving the way for this new king. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, get ready because the king is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand over and over and over. We see this being preached. Draw near to the Lord, for the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. But I love what we continue to read after you get done with these introductory verses. In verse 13 and 14 of Matthew chapter 5, it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, listen, if you are a part of my kingdom, things are going to be different. He said, you cannot participate in the kingdom of darkness and in the kingdom of light. You cannot participate in the kingdom of evil and in my kingdom, which is good. He's saying there's going to have to be a choice that you make about what kingdom are you going to be about? What kingdom are you going to serve in? What king are you going to submit to? Jesus says, my society, my kingdom, it's completely different from anything you've ever known. It's not temporary, but rather it is everlasting. There's no government that can overthrow his kingdom. There is no revolution that can end it. He's saying that it is here to stay. Everything else is rubbish. And the second thing that we learn is that Jesus turns our standard upside down. You see, Jesus comes on the scene. He said, listen, my society is different because I have a completely different standard to life. You notice that he says he began to teach them in verse 2. Jesus, he's sitting down on the hill and it says, then he began to teach them. Who is the them in this story? Who is Jesus teaching? Among this group, we see Pharisees, we see Sadducees, we see the Essenes, we see Zealots, and all of these different groups that are represented within this crowd They have completely different understandings of how to apply the law of God to their lives and what that law looks like being lived out in Jerusalem, in Judaism. And he is addressing these crowds. He's saying, listen, you have one set of standards. 
and your standard is broken. He said, your standard doesn't even fit in my kingdom because the Pharisees, listen, you're all about the law and you believe somehow that if you would just keep the law, then you can have happiness, that you can have this blessed life that I'm preaching about. For the Sadducees who had this tendency to be liberal in their theology, that they would take the, the law of the traditional law and they would apply it to the philosophies of the day and they would begin to mesh the two to make it work out. And then the Essenes, they believed that, that if, it was, if they could just be isolated from the world, then they could have happiness. That if they could just somehow live this monkish lifestyle, that they could be away from the world, that God would bless them, that they could have this blessed life, that they could have true happiness. And then the zealots, they believed that if they could just overthrow Rome, then everything would be right again. If we could just somehow muster up this political revolution that is so needed, then we could finally have happiness once again. And Jesus looks at him and says, you got it all wrong. You guys are fighting for the wrong kingdom. He says, my kingdom has a different standard. Yes, the, the law is important. Yes, being able to talk about the law to the people of the day is important. Yes, uh, having political morality is important. But at the end of the day, it's still fleeting. He's saying, don't put all of your hope into these things. Don't pretend like that's the standard that is going to gain you complete happiness. That's going to give you that sense of fulfillment. Jesus is saying, listen, I have the roadmap and you're not on it. He's saying, I got a different standard. I got a different standard. This is why it says in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. He's saying there is no possible way that you can keep up with your actions in order to have this happy life. He's saying you need to be careful because this is what the world says. The world says that happiness can be found in your job. If you could just get that promotion, if you could just get that pay raise, then you will be happy. The world will admire you. Happiness is found in the best house. Happiness is found in the latest car. Happiness is found in what you can obtain for yourself. Happiness is in higher education. Happiness is the high achiever, the go-getter. Happiness is the one with the highest nobility, the famous, the most popular. This is what the world continues to scream at us. But Jesus says, I have a different standard. He says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. The merciful, this is who is happy, are those who show mercy. Those who are pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. Those who are reviled for my name's sake. These are the happy ones. These are the blessed ones. Jesus is saying, I have a different standard in a different society. Because ultimately what Jesus is pointing to is that you don't need all of these things that the world is telling you in the former society. He's saying what you need is a new status before God. And this is what Jesus does. He turns our status upside down. 
Jesus turns our status. What do I mean by status? He turns our position before God completely upside down. And praise be to Jesus that he does. Because this is what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. He says that our status is that we are enemies before God. That you and I are sinners who are broken before God. And you and I, we don't need a, a new title. We don't need a new job. We need a Savior who will give us a new life. He says, you need a status change. You see, in my kingdom, in my economy, this is what you need is that you need a change of identity. You need a change of status. You need a change of position before an almighty God who demands righteousness, and yet we cannot produce it on our own. You see, this is what Ephesians 4, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 2 verse 4 through 5 says. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. You see, there is something that you and I cannot muster up on our own. There is something that you and I cannot manufacture on our own, and that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He tells us this in Matthew chapter 5, just a few verses later in verse 20, it says, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. He is giving us this warning that what they describe to, ascribe to, guess what? It will not give you righteousness. It will only continue to lead you to brokenness. He's saying, you don't need a new law to follow. You need a savior who is going to save you. You see, there's this moment in this movie called The Poseidon Adventure. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, but there's this moment in the ocean, the, the liner SS Poseidon is on the open sea, and they come across this great storm. In fact, there's no way they can navigate around it. They end up having to go through it, and the SS Poseidon ends up upside down in the sea. Well, this obviously causes chaos. It causes panic. It causes uh, everybody to be confused on how do we save ourselves from this plight that we are in? You see, because it was turned upside down, it was confusing of if, should they go to the top deck? And so you had some people who were climbing up the stairs that are making their way up the ship, not knowing they were going deeper and deeper and deeper into the depth of the ocean. Hundreds of feet, they were going down into the ocean. And the others who, who thought that, that that's not the way, I think we have to go up this way, and up is actually to the bottom of the ship. They finally made it to the hole. And they started banging on the hole, and the rescuers could finally hear them, and they, those were the ones that were saved. You know, I can't help but think that this is what the economy of Jesus really looks like. Is that the rest of the world, they're saying, no, 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 this is the way. This is the way. If you want to be saved, if you want, if you want to have life, this is the way. 
In the world's way, what they do is they take you further and further and further into the depths of the sea that you can do nothing about. Except when you get there, you have found yourself just at a loss. You have found yourself just in a greater plight than where you began. But Jesus is on top of the ship that's on the bottom of the ship. And he is screaming to his people. He's saying, no, 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 no. Listen, this is the way. I'm telling you, this is life. It seems upside down. But I'm telling you, life is in this direction. It doesn't seem right. But I'm telling you, life is in this direction. And Jesus is there waiting for us. And he is telling you this morning to stop running in the opposite direction of Jesus. Because he is calling you by name right now. And he wants to save you your life. And I know that in this room, that there are people who have never given their life to Jesus. You find yourself just moving further and further away from him. And Jesus is trying to lock eyes with you right now and say, no, 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 this is the way. Follow me. The same message to his disciples that said, come and follow me is the same message to you and I today. The problem is whether or not you will surrender to the one true king. And you can do that today. You can give your life to Jesus right now. In just a moment, we're going to sing another song together. And I'm going to ask during that song that you would respond Those of you who need to give your life to Jesus, you respond. You say, yes, that's me. And you can pray right where you are right now. And I just want to ask every eye to be closed, every head to just bow. And right where you are, if that is you, you give your life to Jesus right now. Say, Jesus, I'm ready to surrender to you. Father, will you take my life? And I promise you this, if you're praying that prayer, just as he saw the crowds in Matthew chapter 5, he sees you and he hears you right where you are. The Bible says that anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That he is merciful, that he is just, and that he will hear you, and that he will save you. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and give you life. Heavenly Father, this is your time. God, I just ask that you would help us slow down and hear your voice. God, even in the lowest whisper, I pray, Jesus, that we can hear you so clear. So God, would you save people right now? Those who are here in the room, those watching online, those watching on TV, wherever they are, Father, you see them, you hear them. And I pray, Jesus, that you'll save them. And it's in your name we pray, amen.